What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Oh, Glenn, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was just out there training. Where have you been? I was out there training my dog. What took you so long? Well, we were doing this particular scenario mm-hmm. where we were using a hard dog chomp. Yep. I got that from Canon Dynamics, by the way. From old mate Mark LaPointe? Mark LaPointe. Yep. Yeah. I got. Uh, I get a lot of my working dog equipment from him. He really flogs some good stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Canon Dynamics. Yeah. And then my dog was attached to a leash and collar. Where did you get that from? I got that from Mindswick Dog Quip. Not the old bullfed. I got it from Jason. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick Dog Quip. And, com. and it all went perfectly. Yep. So I- How'd gave, you reward the dog? I'm I, very interested. Well, aside from the bites on the chomp, mm-hmm. but, you know, for other things, yep. I gave the dog some Bright's Bites. Oh, good call. Yep. Bright's Bites. You really are a name dropper, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> You've got the best of the three. You've got the golden triad right there. Absolutely. Mm. If you want, you know, if you're in North America and you want working dog equipment, yep. Canon Dynamics. Yep. If you're in Australia and you want any kind of dog equipment, Einswick Dog Quip. And if you're going to use dog treats, you're crazy if you're feeding your dog anything other than Bright Spice. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and sitting across the table from me, welcome back to the show, Bertie O'Shady. Hello. Hey, Bertie. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's always it's good to have you on the show. You're a very popular guest. I think a lot of people just put up with us for the, the breaks between your your intermittent schedule yeah. of reinforcement. Oh, yeah. no. I don't yeah. think so. No, 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 no. But thank you. <laughs> but I was thinking this morning how lucky I am that I get to go to work, which is just catching up with two of my best mates and I get to brain nerd and I'm going to talk about things that I just want to talk about, like how Mm. luxurious is this as work, right? It is a pretty cool job. Mm. It's amazing, but also that you have people that you feel so comfortable going there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like this is kind of like a safe space, the studio, and you can just. (laughs) (laughs) She called it the studio. She called it a studio. Uh, well, it feels like a studio. I have I have a big microphone looking at me with a tiny with a spider well, crawling with a around. Spider on it. On it. Just it well, it is yeah. more studio esque now than what it used to be before we just had our sloppy old couch and yeah. just the you know an old table that we had. Like we've actually got something that resembles a studio. I have mm. a water glass with a coaster sitting in front of me. That's pretty professional, man. Yeah. Yep. Like. And the microphone hasn't sprung up and hit you in the face. Yeah, it hasn't you had to take it down, didn't you? <laughs> you had to take it down. That hasn't happened uh, even one time to. yet. Yeah, yeah so, oh, Mr. We, Stewart. We, we actually uh, replaced the microphone that the guest speaks into after it sprung up and hit you in the face last time. You need You'll to let go of that story. Uh, it popped you right in the mouth about three or four times. It was hilarious. Yeah, yep, I've still got images of it. So how's mountain life? What's going on? Oh, my God, mountain life is the best life. Like I'm every day on a holiday at the moment. To be fair, I have to say 
it took a lot of to get there. Like, you know, there's a lot of risks involved when you let go of your city life and, and I let go of my practice and everything just to take that massive step outside mm. of living in the city and mm -hmm. moving to the country. But it's the best thing I've ever done. Like I'm realizing how much noise city ha the city has mm -hmm. and how my natural pace in life is actually so much slower than I was used to. Mm -hmm. um, so you're officially a mountain mama now. Yeah, like I have to say I'm very comfortable in the mountains. Like You look comfortable like with all your vegetable gardens that you're growing and – And killing and growing and killing, sometimes yeah. eating. To me it's a very wholesome life. Like, mm. you know, you get up in the morning and you have to get firewood and you have to get the stove going because it keeps you warm and then you have to know the weather if you're outside. I'm most days two or three hours in the garden um, splitting wood or shuffling dirt or annoying my neighbours with <laughs> – horse manure, I don't know. But no, it's a really wholesome life. And you mm. I realized how disconnected from nature I was and how mm -hmm. you know how much energy you get by not doing anything, just being outside. Mm -hmm. That is just such to me it's medicine. It's amazing. Perfect. It actually is medicine. I mean there's there's a couple of things in life that holistic people talk about and that is getting eight hours of sleep every day, drinking fresh water and eating fresh produce and breathing. Like proper yeah. breathing techniques. That is so true. And it was so interesting because I'm meditating a lot at the moment. Like mm. um, I'm also in a really luxurious position where I'm not working much, but I'm prioritizing my meditation as if it's work. Yep. Like I'm like, this is work for me. This is really important to stay grounded. And, you know, I still have a couple of health issues I'm working on. So I'm meditating most days an hour or an hour and a half these days. And I miss it if I don't do it. Like, mm -hmm. and it's so interesting how before I always had reasons why not to do it. Like mm. it never was important enough to protect that space in the day. And, and now it's non-negotiable nearly. That's cool. I think there's so much noise going on in the world right now that – now this is more important than ever for a lot of people is to try and make that time. I agree. And I can see in hindsight how I made my life so complicated by just overthinking and, and you know, just doing things and how I struggle to just slow down. Like I am can be a very busy body. Like I, I like to move when I'm healthy and do things. And for me to slow down took a good three months because there was so much resistance there to slow down. And I had to really learn to accept the tension in myself to slow down. Like it was not a nice process to slow down. And now I've finally arrived, I think. Mm -hmm. So now it's maintenance. But the slowing down process was very painful, actually. Mm. Interesting. Is Dan traveling or is he working from home up he there? He just started traveling last week, but he's only two days in the, in the city. So my husband, Dan... We were very, very lucky and blessed during COVID. Like we, yeah, we were very protected and had a very easy life compared to other people. Mm. But yeah, no, he worked from home yep. and now he's going back to the and office. And your internet's good enough up there that he can do that? Yeah, no, we chose the house despite it being run down 200 meters from a really fast internet. It's faster than in the city. Right. Yeah, we have best internet ever. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? No, no I'm, I'm coming to the realization I am a person that, doesn't appreciate a lot of things like jewelry or diamonds. I couldn't care less. Coffee, internet, a good car, mm. and a good heater. Very important to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. I'm really, really looking forward to Elon Musk getting his Starlink system up and going because primarily he's looked at countries like Australia where we really have shit internet. Like even our NBN is so sketchy about whether it works properly or not. You know, people are saying – when it's working great, it's great. But the problem is, is the reliability of it. So he's looked into 
countries that are affected like us. And he's producing this, well, apparently producing this system called Starlink, where basically you just buy, uh, it's like a small little satellite. You just plug it in, point it at the sky, and it's estimated, and I'm only saying that because I don't know much more about it than that, but it's estimated to be four times faster than our NBN at top speeds. See, that's incredible, but to me it wouldn't make a difference because I'm the slow poke, not the internet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I am the, I'm the slow user, but I think my husband would appreciate that a lot. Well, for conferencing and, me, you know, especially for when we're trying to talk to people overseas, you know, mm. we want a glitch-free connection where we can have a good conversation and it's not glitching out every every five, ten minutes. So That's true. You know, I mean, I'm eagerly awaiting some type of fast broadband to come here because we're on ADSL 2 at the moment, which is – even at its peak speed, is still pretty average. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's probably enough of the internet podcast. Yeah. What are we talking about? There was a message in my inbox and it just says, hey, Bertie, can we talk about nuance? Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Stewart, do you want to maybe give us a little intro and then I can tell you what I did with it? Yeah. <laughs> if I so, got your memo. You know, with COVID and everything going around, there's a lot of people who are getting, I noticed, that are really getting caught up in their own situation Mm -hmm. and a failure to appreciate nuance. And it's kind of, we touched on it when we had Jerry and Cameron Cameron. Ford on, Mm -hmm. and we're talking about how, you know, there's actually a lot going on in everything. And in dog training, I think a lot of people can get really caught up in this is it, right? Like this is Mm. the way, this is how it goes. And I think that even people, it's not necessarily an experience thing. Like, you know, there's, there's a graph of experience that people will often show you is, you know, early on, you know, nothing. Then very quickly, you think, you know, everything. And then much later you realize, you know, nothing. Right. And I think that even there's people who don't necessarily fit into that graph because they're not willing to understand that there's more. And it's something that, you know, I spent a long time in the army learning how to do it. It's funny how much, you know, I've been out for five years now, but how much of this stuff has been coming back to me, especially in planning and critical thinking. And then, you know, I did a, a, some time at a school in the States on really was a course on critical thinking that I did. And I think that, you know, sitting back and taking stock of a situation and appreciating the nuance that goes into it is an art form that I think a lot of people could learn and I'm not in a position to teach it. So I thought, Hey, better to talk about it than the clinical psychologist that I know or former clinical psychologist <laughs> that I know. Well, she still is a clinical psychologist, but she's becoming more holistic these days. But uh-huh. so when I read that, when I read your introduction to it, I was for a couple of days, I'm like, hmm, from what angle do we take, tackle this? Because there's so many ways to go about it. And in the end, I chose an angle which I thought most people would find interesting mm-hmm. and it's the angle from the ego. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a lot about how the ego is triggered in those things and how to learn to maybe observe the ego a little bit more. Which yeah, is perfect. very predominant in the dog training industry. Yeah, and also mm-hmm. I think when we understand the mechanisms behind it, you can apply it to other areas. Like I wanted to make it applicable to the dog industry but also a lot of things are interconnected, mm-hmm. you know. So, for instance, we know that when a person is being triggered, the trigger that you see is maybe just on the surface, but actually it's like an iceberg. And on the bottom, there's a much deeper trigger also being triggered. It's mm-hmm. like what we call an effect bridge. And in therapy, we very often float back. We go like, okay, this incident triggered you. Trigger as in your emotional reaction to a stimulus was way out of proportion. Mm-hmm. So now 
how many other triggers are hiding in that trigger. And mm -hmm. when you talk that through and when you bring that awareness and that critical thinking in, you can see, hey, there are like so many layers to this. And the reason why you had such a strong, nearly overreaction to this is because it was actually not about this. Mm, yeah. This comes back to maybe way, way back in earlier years of your life. That sounds like a similar thing or a similar model to the layered stress model. It can be, but I'm, I'm talking literally about very specific triggers. Yep. Like you can layer the stress and the, the more the stress is layered, the more, uh, the higher your over or the higher the intensity and duration of your overreaction will mm. be. But I'm talking about, so for instance, I was having a chat with a wonderful friend of mine and she had an encounter with a man on the beach who really got under her skin and he was very disrespectful towards her and her dog and she couldn't let go of that incident. And then she realized, hey, this incident just triggered so many memories that reminded her of other situations in sure. her life, you know, where she maybe got bullied or people didn't turn up for her. And that's why it was still hanging above her head for mm. so many days and the intensity. So it was not the layered stress model in that instance. It was the flavor of the trigger. Mm. It was, you know, how how were you conditioned to react to these triggers? And I believe... I believe, and I have to be really careful because I haven't done much research around this, is that people these days on one hand are so the emotional needs of being heard and listened to are either too much, like they have been too much catered for or not at all. Mm -hmm. Like like I think there's two extremes happening. I, I mean, if I look at my social media account, it's either people are always expected to be listened and heard and understood and they are getting really upset if no one pays attention, like they have no resilience to being misunderstood or no resilience to not having the floor to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, there's this whole other collective where I'm like, you have not even been heard and understood ever. And I think that's what I'm noticing right now. I don't know if that's true. That's just what I observed the other day. Do you think that could be or is that just me? Yeah, I think for sure that could be playing into what we see. What I've noticed is... There's just a lot of people speaking in absolutes about things that are not necessarily absolute, right? Yeah, and absolutes is a very ego language because yeah. it makes you feel safe, right? Mm. Like like black and white thinking is is number one way to support your ego. And and maybe we should start at the beginning and if talk a little bit about the ego, what it yes, is, please. how we talk about it. Before I start, I have to give a caveat out. Mm -hmm. Please don't quote Bertie said, this is what Bertie said. I am not an ego specialist. I am heavily relying on the very, very talented Dr. Nicole Lepera from the Holistic Psychologist. She is one of the biggest psychologists online at the moment. Like she's on Instagram and Facebook and she's lovely. She even replied to my emails the other day, which is phenomenal because she was on the Forbes magazine the other week. Wow. So she is reframing psychology at the moment and she knows a ton about the ego. And what do you mean she's reframing psychology? I can't speak for her, but this is how I see it. I see it that she's making it more holistic and she's giving people the power back to heal themselves, mm -hmm. making them really independent, nice. making them like she's very generous. She's one of the most generous healers. She's a healer. Like that's, you know, she calls her cycle on Instagram self-healers. Mm -hmm. She educates them about how all of their problems are ego-triggered and she educates them and she goes back into, you know, how a lot of them – are struggling with maybe trauma from inner childhood. And when we talk about trauma, it's not just terrible things happening to people. It's also the absence of good or or just what you've been conditioned with. And she's really trying to raise awareness and consciousness in the community, how 
at the end of the day, we can only heal ourselves. Mm. We can't change people. We can't heal other people. You can only make the world a better place if you work on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think in if we talk about nuance, that's in the end it, you know. People very often have been taught, hey, communication is the key to making people learn and listen. But there has to be a level of comprehension and willingness to understand and learn and implement. Yes. How many conversations do you see where people just, you talk, then I talk, then you talk, then I talk. And there's no, they're just talking. No Mm. one's listening to anybody, right? And there's no, I guess, a willingness to be vulnerable enough to actually take the other point of view in and let that sink in. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds me of a beautiful quote from Johan Hari, I think a lot of you know that I have a very soft spot for him. Mm-hmm. He's a great mind of our day and age. And he has a quote up that resonated with me this week. And he talks about the ego. And the quote is, our egos protect us. They guard us. They are necessary. But when they grow too big, they cut us off from the possibility of connection. Taking them down isn't something to be done casually. To people who feel safe only behind walls, dismantling their walls won't feel like a jailbreak. It will feel like an invasion. Mm. And I think that's what we see. Then we see this, you know, this clash of intensity and energy and you go like, what's happening? Like we, we can see people having maybe disputes or uh, conversation, but it's not about learning the other perspective. It's literally about to hold their thought in place, right? There is no willingness to learn or to evolve in the argument. And I think that's when we, when people learn debating at school, it's actually not to grow the conversation, it's literally to hold your point. Mm. And I think that's a very different objective in why we want to have a conversation with. And I think that's the ego and that's what Nicole, Dr. Nicole LaPera talks about, how we are triggered and how to learn to make our ego raise awareness to our ego and how to deal with it. So go and look her up. That's the lecture today that I'm holding on our podcast is mainly about her I haven't done anything about this, so if don't quote me. <laughs> Say her name again. Her name is Dr. Nicole Lepera. Lepera, how do you spell that? L-E-P-E-R-A. Okay. And she's the holistic psychologist, and don't quote me, quote her. It's her work that I'm... Tell her Birdie sent you. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm probably butchering it terribly, but she's amazing what she does. Like she is literally changing the paradigm in psychology at the moment. And that was very kind of her to actually respond to you. Yeah, she was amazing. Like she's, she comes across as really warm and caring. And um, I just reached out to her because I knew she had a, a tough time. And I'm like, hey, I'm a fellow psychologist with a similar story like you. I love you. Thank you so much for what you do. And she wrote back within a couple of hours and we had this thread going on. And I'm like, you're so nice. You're as nice as you come across. And that's really rare. Yeah. yeah. She so, wasn't too egotistical to respond to you. Nothing. Mm. No, no. She's very Lovely. real and very authentic. Like, it, Yeah, that's cool. It's a weird little uh, dopamine spike when someone you consider famous writes back to you, like when you kind of write to them on a whim. I did that recently with someone on Instagram who has a, a gajillion followers and was totally outside of dogs, but I, he was talking about a, a program that was a strength coach and I, I just didn't quite get a part of it and was like, hey, what do you mean about this? Thinking, yeah, I'm not going to hear back. And then when he did write back and he's broken and he doesn't speak English, I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's just squealed. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm talking to the guy, right? Like, yeah. and, uh, it was a weird little um, – because I'm kind of an anti-celebrity, right? Like I think that most celebrities these days are just narcissistic. 
right? And but then I think wouldn't be a podcast without that word, would it? (laughs) But you're right. The overwhelming majority, right? But then, so this guy is not a celebrity, but he is a like he's not a person that probably gets recognized walking down the street. But as far as strength coaches goes, he's very well known. And when I got the right back, I was like, ooh. We were talking yeah. about kettlebells. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. I love that you're proud about yourself and not him that he replied. <laughs> no, well, what I was proud of was the conversation and how it went and that. Uh, that you're able to hold your own with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's That you sparked it. his interest that, enough that he replied. Yeah, and so really that probably is a talent of his to be able to talk like he's talking to a moron, but I managed to to not embarrass myself too much, I think. So your ego got triggered? Yeah, totally. Yeah, big time. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah, it is a nice feeling. I yeah. agree. Yeah, and I think it's also so, for me, it was really reassuring that the online community and the social media community can be used for good mm. because there's so much unpleasant things happening online. And I think I'm learning to use social media more to educate myself instead of numbing myself these days. Mm-hmm. Still failing some days. But anyway, she she's very inspiring, Dr. Nicole LePera. And coming back to the topic, the ego, I think what we are not aware in our society is that the ego drives us most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the problems that we create for ourselves are because we are ego driven. And the ego is the I essentially. It's how you see yourself. You know, everything that you say after I do this or I am that, that's the ego. And it's a part of the mind that identifies with your traits, with your beliefs and habits. And The ego is fairly unconscious. Like it's most of the time unconscious unless you've been really working on it. And most people, when you talk to them, they're not even aware that they're in an ego state in in their response. Mm -hmm. And I think the world would be such a better place if everyone would understand their ego a bit better. Our ego is not a bad thing. You just need to learn to know when are you triggered, what are your triggers, triggers as in you have an, your reaction is too excessive. Mm -hmm. And how to connect with another person without being in an ego state. Because when you step out of this ego state, you have this ability to really make a connection with a person because you're not behind your ego wall. And I believe that's when really good things can happen, when you actually can just coexist. And I remember the podcast that you did with Nick Benja. Yeah, Nick Benja, yeah. Yeah. And I remember there were moments where both of you stepped out of that ego and there was good talk there, right? And that were two really different opposite opinions on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty of that podcast showed me that people still can connect without being on the same page about something. Mm. And I believe that's the idea behind being out of your ego state is that you can recognize the strength in another person and you're – Ability to go like, I don't understand everything in your life, not that I need to, but I believe that you have the capacity to make the right decision for you right now and that you need to be on your path. For instance, I, I know a woman and she trains her dog very differently than I train her. For her, that path is very healing. She needs to do that path. Very different models how we teach our dogs, but for her, that's a healing journey. Mm. It's not my place to tell her, hey, why don't you do this and this and this? The concept is so much bigger. We have so little awareness of what people's journey they're on. And I think the ego wants always to be right or wrong or this is how I do it. And very often you can see how there's a staggering of arguments happening, like the impact. And then you're on the wrong path. It's an interesting topic. I think that when you were talking about Pat and Nick doing their podcast and the moments where they were vulnerable with each other. It was an interesting thing for me because when I was a younger guy, I used to confuse vulnerability with weakness. 
And mm. that's where my ego grew out of control is because I thought in order to protect myself, I can't be vulnerable to people because that means that I'm a weak man. I think I'm not alone in thinking that as well. No. Vulnerability is being more open to the universe and to the people around you. And it allows you to be more inclusive and, and attract more I think the word that I used already is inclusiveness. Like you're actually getting more by being vulnerable. And it's it's incredible how closed off you can be to people, the world and opportunity when you are really egocentric. I didn't realize how dangerous it was until I could feel it consuming me. People like yourselves that have helped me reduce that. There's been other people in my life, of course, that have helped me reduce those states of mind, but it's hard to fucking to shed. It's very, very it's hard to get rid of because it feels, I had this conversation with somebody else a long time ago. When you dump a part of yourself like ego or something like that, you don't know who you're going to be when you let go of something that you've been carrying with yourself for such a long period of time. Scary. It's terrifying it's very because scary. you think, well, that's like cutting off my left arm. But that's not what it's like, but that's what you think it's like. That's the yes. manifestation that you create inside your brain is, you know, like I'm cutting a part of myself away. Who will I become and will people still like me if I start being something that I was never in a state of mind before? And, yeah, it's a terrifying place. It's exactly what's happening. You've been conditioned, right? Like we have been praised and reinforced for certain stories that our mind keeps telling us these thoughts like – you talk about cutting the ego off. Like for me to close my practice was one of the scariest things ever because my parents didn't understand. You went so many years to university. You mm. got your first paycheck when you were 30 and you only 38 and you're closing that right now. Like what the fuck? <laughs> like, like, and then you're moving into the mountains and you want to meditate and you want to grow your own vegetables. Like, you know, you're giving up your social status. You, you're cutting yourself up from a higher income. And these are all the things that we've been conditioned. Like when you are born as a child, you are very in the flow with life. Mm. Life's really good. You have no awareness, but the, you have awareness. It's just innate, essentially. But then you grow older and socially you're being told what's right or wrong, black mm. and white, who you should be, right? You're being molded. And letting go of that either is essentially letting go of all of that again, mm. that you just are. And I think that is so difficult and scary because you have to really learn to understand the stories that your mind is telling you, how your thinking is impacting you, how you're feeling. Like I had to look at my friendships, like, you know, like who, who serves to ego and who is served to feel you, that you feel nurtured and wholesome at the end of the day. They're very different types of people very often. Mm. And it takes a lot of courage to do that, to do that because you walk against mainstream society. Mm. Like, like it takes a fuck ton of balls to go like, yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, you guys touched on that earlier, both of you in, the, in your earlier conversation when you talked about people putting you in, into a position where they're insisting that there's only two sides. Why does there only have to be two sides? You know, why is there just left or right? I think it was a, a Hopi Indian saying, I'm not sure if I've, I've got this correct, but I remember reading a, a, a phrase that said, the left and right wing belong to the same bird. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's craziness that, that people are saying to me, it's either this or it's that, choose. It's grey. Life's grey. It's hardly ever black and white. Right. But you find out that more and part of that shedding of ego gives you the ability to see that there is these other dimensions that you can actually look into rather than being so singular in your views. Yes, and I think the ability... And I'm struggling with that still. And I think shedding your ego is a lifelong journey. I don't think that's just happening in, you know, in one night. 
think that's your task in life very often. Yeah, I agree with that. Is that I have to learn to hold different realities at the same time. Like I have very colorful friends. I love my friends. And we very often don't agree on things objectively, but we still love each other at the end of the day. But I can hold their reality and I can hold my reality and we can still connect. Mm. But that means that you can just let a person be. And you can go like, I, and actually Pat said that to me, like it was really interesting. I called him and it was an interesting month and he asked about things. And I'm like, that's not of your interest. Like you remember those things. And then he said to me, he was thinking about it the next day as well. And I'm like, why was it on your mind? Like, this is not your interest. They are not your hobbies. Like, this is what I'm interested in, but it had nothing to do with you. And it's like, because it's important to you. And I'm like, oh, you know, like this is friendship. <laughs> this is when someone goes like, I don't agree with what you're doing or have to do anything, but I care about the person behind it. Mm. And I think holding, learning to hold realities without having to judge or have to have an opinion or to measure it or just to let it be is one of the hardest things. Mm. And with that comes also the ability to know that you will be misunderstood. Because mm. the ego very often wants to explain things in depth, wants to go into detail and kind of like lecture the other person really. And that's ego driven. Very often you have to go like, you will not miss, you will not get me. I will mm. be misunderstood and that's okay. I'm sure it does apply to ego, but just something you were talking about then, Glenn, about we vowed to stay away from politics on the show, but I'll speak generally. Mm. When you're talking about left and right wing people, right? Yeah. What was really interesting to me, what I heard a couple of years ago, is that that's actually believed to be a genetic trait, right? And mm. the evidence on that is reasonably thin in that it's from uh, separated twin studies. Yep. And there just aren't that many of them, right? But there certainly appears that it's a genetic trait. You, you're born- a, with a predisposition to be left leaning mm -hmm. or a predisposition to be right leaning. And, you know, what's important at this point in human evolution is to understand that anything that is in there, like that was selected for, yep. right? Like in part of our society, like that is important. It's really important that there's people who lean left and it's really important that there's people that lean right. And it, like if you were to, whichever side you associate with, you would be lost without the other, right? Because Anything that we're doing, right, that mm. is a genetic trait has been selected for over millions of years. We got to this point, it's it's necessary for success, right? So just understanding that I think can be a really powerful thing to say like, hey, I don't agree with you on this topic, but maybe you're necessary to stop me getting too carried away with my ideas. Totally. Right? Like I think sometimes that the extremist views can be really annoying, especially in dog training, right? Like we find that way people who are like, nope, never tell your dog no, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that person is the counter to the old yank and crank, never reward your dog, yeah. right? Yeah, I agree. And I think that both of those need to exist mm. because one in the absence of the other would be carried away, right? This is something I've often said about, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but I use the example of parachuting, right? So in the army, I won't talk about dogs because dogs make people crazy. But when you look at this objectively, when you talk, no one, no one's like emotionally attached to parachuting. Okay. So what happens is like maybe a guy in the army does his free fall course, right? And your free fall course is, I think it's 30 odd jumps or something like that. Right. And then you're jumping with your equipment. You're jumping really technical kind of stuff. And at 30 jumps, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm, I'm a free faller. I'm, I'm it. 
The civilian course is, I think, nine jumps, right? And you are nobody until you've done 500, right? And then in the army, again, I think to be a, like a tan, to start doing your tandem course, it's like 300 jumps. Yep. As a civilian, it's over an hour of, sorry, a thousand minutes of free fall, which is going to put you up around 1500 jumps, right? Mm. So here's what happens. A guy joins, he's in the army, does his free fall course and he likes it. Right. Mm-hmm. So he joins and starts jumping on the weekends at, with civilians and they're flying all kinds of super crazy formations and doing all kinds of technical stuff. And he does that on the weekends with a bunch of lawyers and accountants and shit. Right. And people who are just doing a normal nine to five job. Then he goes to work and he does his gunfighter stuff. But every, every now and again, he's doing his jumps and he's frustrated by how not good at it his army colleagues are compared to his civilian counterparts, right? Mm. And he's like, hey, guys, we should fly smoother. We should be able to fly into formation better. Why are we jumping these huge rigs when we can jump like smaller rigs and we can land on a dime? And like someone will get blown off target and he'll be like, how the fuck did you manage to get blown off target? Like this is ridiculous. Why didn't you align yourself and fly in straight and all this stuff, right? And he will be pushing and pushing and pushing and he'll be a fucking thorn in the side of everybody that's in mm. the unit, right? Mm. And he'll what ends up happening is he realizes, oh, I'm more of a freefaller than I am a soldier, right? Mm. And he is trying to push everybody to improve. He's constantly annoying everybody. He's constantly in their ear. Why can't we do this better? Why aren't we using better equipment? Why don't we fly better? Blah, 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 blah. And he's really important to be pulling the guys forward, but he's wrong right? They're as good as they need to be. They just need enough to do what they need to do. They just need to be that good. Mm. But do you know why he's important? Because he stops them going backwards, right? He is the reason that they never regress is because that guy who's a pain in everyone's ass and is constantly demanding everyone be better, he's the one that stops them going backwards. He's trying to pull them forward and maybe pulls them an inch at a time, right? Mm. But what he for sure does is stop them getting worse at doing it, right? Now, like nobody gets upset about that, right? When I talk about it in parachuting terms because no one gets emotional about fucking free fall skydiving. (laughs) But now you replace that with dog handler, right? And people are like, ah, oh, fuck you. You're, you're into the sport. Sport doesn't equate. <laughs> well, free falling like a, a clean skin rig hardly equates to flying a fucking tandem parachute with like a specialist who's never jumped before. You're carrying his gear, your gear, guns. It's not the same thing, right? Mm. But there's enough skills involved. It's exactly the same as dogs, right? It's the exact same thing in that like, you know, you and, and what happens, of course, in army parachuting, you get civilian instructors to come in and like guys who have invented something cool or could do something so far beyond what the military thought of they come in and they they guest instruct and then when somebody from the sport dog world turns up to guest instruct you get people like oh what the fuck does this guy know about what we do right it's the same thing but nobody attaches their ego to it like they do so much in dogs mm. in dogs it's a like how dare he tell me what to do do you right? understand why i think it's the emotional component of, yes. of, of dogs. dogs are like i'm learning to realize more and more that dogs most people are just safe zone. Yeah. In emotional attachment bias and how they feel, dogs are safe. You know, that's where they get pure love essentially. Fair enough, they can also challenge us. But they're safe. Like from an emotional perspective, they are safe. So they're quite on the holy grail of things to experience, mm-hmm. right? So therefore the ego will be even more triggered. Mm-hmm. Because if it's okay, I'm going to read out one of the blog posts that Dr. Nicole Perra did because yeah. she explains to you how the ego is built. And I think that would make a lot of sense to people. And Mm. I think um, 
it can relate quite nicely to the dog industry. Is yeah, that cool? totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So again, not my work, someone else's work. <laughs> so the, the article starts where she talks about where does the ego actually come from? And she says, as a child, you came into this world with an intuitive nature. You instinctively understood that the world, even though you could not speak the language, your level of consciousness was pure awareness. As a child, you have no filter. You can play, you can imagine and create. You are not yet tied to an identity of who you are. You're born unconditioned, like you're a clean slate, essentially. Things are going to come. Simply being comes naturally to you. During childhood, your ego is in egocentric state. It's best described with the saying, the world revolves around you. In this state, everything is happening to you because of you. Childhood wounds are particularly impactful because of this ego period. It is not until the teenage years that you develop abstract thinking, the ability to observe outside of your own perspective. Your ego develops to protect you from your reality. It creates an identity for you to cope with any confusion, disconnection, and loss of love that you experienced. It strengthens an identity to ensure to the best of your ability that we can still receive whatever love is available. So it's a protection mechanism, the ego. It's how you survive. As you aged, you were taught, typically unconscious, values around things like intelligence, achievement, preferred emotional states, relationships, and other people. So you were shaped and conditioned. Your greatest need is to receive love, so you learn to identify with these values even if they are not positive. Many adults have not evolved past the egocentric state. They will believe things are happening to them. If you believe you have no control in your life or that outside events are controlling your life, ego work will be particularly beneficial because you've kind of given it up, right? Like you're living in this protection mode all the time. The ego is to construct itself. Your ego is a very rigid identity. It has to be. It's created a set of beliefs, patterns and ideas that most people label as personality. Your ego is very defensive about your identity. Anything outside of confirmed thoughts, beliefs and behaviors will be rejected. Remember, it's that critical period where we all get taught this, like, you know, Mm -hmm. this really sinks in, this hits home, right? And if you'd like confirmation on this, watch a debate. Debaters do not change each other's minds. They go back and forth affirming their own beliefs. The winner of the debate is simply the person who confirms your bias. Their ego defends a belief, and yours defends that person as the winner because they confirm a concept you have tied to your identity. The problem with this conflicting opinion is what allows us to grow. Conflicting opinions or concepts often bring people to a place of anger because the ego feels the most out of control when it feels challenged. So that's what Johan Hari called with the wall. Mm -hmm. It feels like an attack on self. Technically it is because the ego creates the illusion that our opinions and beliefs makes who we are. This leads to a a lot of insecurity and low self-worth. In a fragile state, the ego works overtime to defend us. And I think that's what, what we see a lot in the dog industry because for us, the dogs are so close to love, to all these concepts, what we have. Like there's so much loading in those topics. And I think that's why dogs always get us so trigger. And we know that the ego overcompensates in the fragile state with the following ideas and things that it does. So for instance, the ego is triggered when you have a strong emotional reactivity 
When you have false confidence because you're overcompensating, you have black and white or rigid thinking, you reject any ideas that conflict with your ego beliefs, you are in extreme competition, a belief that another person's success hinders your own, or that you constantly compare yourself, or that you judge others, or you mock them, you insult them, or you threaten them, or you overanalyze, you have analysis paralysis, that you have really obsessive thoughts. And we know then that the ego is being triggered because it's a protection mechanism. And I think that I haven't come across as many things as dark that can trigger the ego as strongly and as powerful. Mm. And I think it's because of our idea of love and safety and security and loyalty and all the good things. That's what she says. So in the end, the goal is that we accept our ego, that we learn about it, that we know how our ego shows up and that we learn just to watch it, that we bring awareness to it and that we can stand back. Mm. Mm. I think dog training especially can be especially egocentric because you're essentially enforcing your will upon another being, right? Like a lot of dog trainers, that's their role is they're like, look what I can get this guy to do. And I think that's why some of the best dog trainers are relationship-based people who are, there's a lot less ego involved in that. It's like, look what we can do together rather than what I can make this dog do. Right? Yeah, so it's not about them. It's about the team, right? So, yeah. so there's already like a meeting of, I don't know, souls. I don't know, like, but, but there's a connection there and it's mm -hmm. not just I'm showing off. Um, well, there is another side to it and this is purely opinion-based. It's my opinion. So I could be wrong. And correct me, Bertie, if you think that I'm heading down the wrong track. But just based on observation and even my own experiences, I guess with my own experiences is when you don't have, and you talked about this earlier on, when you don't have people that listen to you or pay you much attention at the start and suddenly you've become professed at something and then you develop a gathering of people who start paying attention to you and then you have other people who have opposing views on that, I feel that sometimes that can set your ego up for a bit of a rage fest uh, because suddenly you've got growing interest in a group of people who are hanging on every word that you're giving them. So when somebody comes in and says, well, that's wrong, you don't want to hear that shit, you know, because you're thinking, well, who are you to tell me I'm wrong? I've got a group of people here validating me on a regular basis. How could I be wrong? And that in itself is a confronting situation. Very confronting. Throughout the history of the podcast, I've explained my own experience in that when I've gone from a young guy being extremely validated in what I was doing and what I was saying, and then having other people say to me, well, big fish, small pond, this is what's happening. You know, there's another world out here that you're blissfully unaware of. Well, at the time, I didn't want to hear that. I consider those people very good friends for coming up and showing enough interest and care and love in me that they wanted to expand my understanding and ability. So that's just from a, a perspective point of view. But isn't that amazing that I think the idea is we can't get rid of our ego. I mean, some people maybe can, but the average person, we just have to learn to have interest in it and learn more about it. And the idea is if you have a strong re emotional reaction to something, it's a teacher. You have to learn, like you, your job is not then to change the other person. Your job is to learn from that teacher, which that trigger is. And mm. you have to go like, why am I being triggered? Why, why am I having a strong reaction to this? And, and I think if everyone would go like, instead of me focusing my energy on the other person, I just learn about my teachers and my triggers, then the world would be a better place because we basically would step up every single time. Well, I think it's one of the wolves that are getting fed in your psyche. Mm. Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, it's so easy to talk about the ego, but to do the work, it is so hard because yeah. it's so scary. Like, and it never ends. Never That's the ends. Like you can never really, ends. it's a, you can get rid of one layer and then you find it manifest in another. I've been really into this for a year and a half. And just personal life experience sort of got me into it. The book you, you gave me that ego is the enemy. Then you can completely strip yourself of ego in one place and be like, okay, cool. And I think I've tried pretty hard to do that. Like I, one of my favorite things, I've always been into self-deprecating humor. Like no one teases me like I tease me, (laughs) (laughs) which can be unhealthy at times. But I think that the way I manage it is pretty good, right? I I like to get ahead of bad news and tell everyone before they find (laughs) out for themselves. And I think that I'm a, a passionate learner and so your ego can get in the way of doing that a lot as well right like if you're convinced that you're right it's very hard to find out that you're wrong so Mm. i like to be open all the time but it constantly pops up in new places so Mm. like with the the rona taking over and me not able to travel i've taken on pet dog clients again right that i wouldn't have had the time to would have on referred to you know three months ago there's no way i could have and of course what i think everybody in the like that does in home behavior mod is finding out now is that it is the demand is through the roof because people mm. are, have caused a bunch of problems with their dogs while they've been home as well as found out that they've had problems all bubbling away underneath right and i found myself really ego triggered a couple of weeks ago having to convince people of things that like, so m- the majority of my clients over the last couple of years, uh, say on tools, right, uh, with me to learn how to use those tools, right? And what I am teaching people is how to use it in the best way that I know how. What I've had to do in the last couple of months is convince people that it works, right? Mm-hmm. And that's been doing my fucking head in, right? Like big time where I'm in people's houses. And actually, like, of course, I wouldn't say this out loud, but I've thought to myself, like, how fucking dare you question whether this is going to work? Like you're the person with the fucked up dog. I'm the person you've called Mm. and you're questioning whether this is going to work. Right. And then, you know, of course have to swallow that down and go, fuck, that is pure ego. Dealing from people who are validating and obligating your, your opinion to that non-obligatory sort of, yeah, uh, that's hard. But so it went hard. Yeah, totally. So I went from, People and, – and so, like, I'll be doing Skype calls on Thursday and Friday. Mm. People, hey, Pat, how do I activate with the prong collar, right? Like, just stuff like that. Hey, looking to build more power via the e-collar, right? Can you talk me through the process? Yeah, sweet. Got it. I love that shit. Here we go. Let me explain it. Here's the whiteboard. Let me, here's the steps. To then being in someone's kitchen where they're like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. You're No. You're wrong. No, that's not, that's not why my <laughs> dog's doing that. And I'm like, no, but it is. Right. Like, and, and there was a long time where I was really open to the idea of me being wrong on this, but like, we're a couple of thousand reps under the bank here, right? Like, I'm pretty sure this is what's going on. And I I doubt that you're going to be the person to change my mind. Like you and your dog are not going to break the principles of behavioral science. But then that's when I have to sort of go, oh, fucking hell. Like, who do you think you are? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so hard because I think when you, especially such a passionate learner as you are, that a person has no interest in it is even more soul crushing. And I don't know, like my ego always gets triggered when I feel like someone has no curiosity about something. Mm. And I have, one of my biggest flaws is that I over deliver on information. Like I give people too much information for what they're ready to hear. Oh yeah, me too. Um, I'm very guilty of that. And then seeing it and then going like, this is the red flag coming up. You're about to give too much information. They will not care. No one gives a shit. Like it's wasted energy and I can't step away from it. 
Mm. And then I know, oh, I'm, I'm totally in my ego because it's actually about how I feel now. It's not about what you need. Like the service is about that I package the information to your needs. Now I'm activated and you hear what I want to give you. Mm. <laughs> and that's, I think, what, yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, I've had to, based on what Pat was talking about before, that is a difficult one when you turn up and you think, well, you know, like I've been a veteran of this for a very long time. Those words do echo into your head, like, how dare you disagree with me? Like, you're the peasant and I'm the Lord. How dare you? And that's a wrong way to go about it. So the way that I've managed to cope with it in a lot better strategy is I keep, it's a mantra that I say to myself is humble yourself at the threshold, you know, like reset, reevaluate and remember that this person, even though they know nothing, you need to start again with them because we talked about it in a, in a few episodes ago where you can get to a level with something and you certainly don't know, you're not the bastion of all knowledge and access to all information in the world. You may know a lot, but the fact is even where the position you are, you can't assume that this person will just pick it up where you are or where you want them to pick it up from. You have to understand that although they know nothing, there's a complete re-education which needs to take place in that process. And it is, it's very, very Mm. difficult. It bites away at you and it chews away at you. But having listened to yourself, Bertie, and other people who have been very good coaches on how to collect yourself, sometimes it's just a matter of doing some deep breathing in the car before you get out into the lesson. Because there have been lessons. I mean, I've had to go back to doing some lessons as well lately, and I've, I've been just deep breathing and thinking, okay, they don't know, they need to know, they want to know, they've turned up for the lesson, don't get impatient, don't roll your eyes when they're doing things or saying things that are are clearly beneath what your understanding is that because they're fresh and they need your knowledge and that's what you did this for and that's why you became the person you are to be in the position you are to give the knowledge that you gained through that time and it's it is it's hard it's hard to put yourself back in the steps to do that but it's it is very necessary because you're providing a service for people and yes. you, you need to remember that you are a service provider And again, it doesn't matter whether you're doing it in a professional basis or volunteer basis. If you're putting yourself in those positions, remember, you need to be humble about that. You should still treat it as this person deserves the best of me, not a portion of me. And also, I think um, I love what you're saying. And I think what's also really important is we don't know their journey. Yeah. Like you don't know how impactful whatever you gift them is. Yeah. And I think, you know, we very often go like, oh, I've got it sorted or I know what it is. Like in psychology, there's always estimates and risk and all of that. But in the end, you have no fucking clue. Mm. Like you, you you do the best you can. But I know that I was the biggest pain in the ass to my meditation teacher when I was 18 years old. Like I would have hated to have me in that course. And that teacher will remember me as the biggest pain in the ass student ever. She changed my life. She mm. would not know that. She would remember me as this really snobbish blonde, entitled little girl that thought she knew it all and she knew nothing, nothing. But now she changed my life. Like she would go back and and I'm like, you did that, but you had to sit with my arrogant side that was cocky ass. Mm. But you did that. So we don't know what types of change we bring with people. I should, you know, what you're talking about then, Glenn, (laughs) I think that, I've I've only once ever actually sort of said it out loud to a client. <laughs> and it was quite a while. Sir. Well, it was quite a while ago and I actually had to call and I called and apologized on the way home. After the lesson, lesson all finished up and I felt so bad about it. I was like, I cannot believe I said that out loud. Mm. But it was over, you know, like a lot of a lot of the clients I get, especially in my area, two dog problems. And it's usually like 
the dogs either aren't a good match or there's two separate issues. And mm. and this client wouldn't train the two dogs separately. And I said, you know, look, you can't fix this. These dogs have separate issues. You you can't be working these two things at the same time. You're going to have to put one dog away. And But there was separation anxiety issues. And I was like, you know, we have to fix those issues so the dogs can yeah. be separate and then you can fix one of these problems at a time. And she just flat said to me, no, like that's not how it's going to do it. I'm going to be able to do it. And I actually said, to her, I can almost remember my exact words because I, I, it was like I was having an out-of-body experience. I was <laughs> watching myself say this to her. You could feel and, them coming out of your mouth with no control. It, and this is mm. pure ego, like mm. fucking pure ego, but I was it was borderline out-of-body. Yep. As I said to her, I said, look, I know you got my phone number from the vet and like I'm just the dog trainer that's nearby, right? Like I, I know that. And, and I get you don't know – like I'm actually pretty fucking good at training dogs and there's no way in hell that I have the skill to train both your dogs at the same time. And the fact that you think that you do is fucking outrageous to me. I remember right? you telling me the story. I remember. And you're still having to say, Oh, well, because well, I remember I said to her, that is the word that I use. I said, that is fucking outrageous to me that you think that you can do this when I've told you I wouldn't be able to do it and I'm the one that you've called to explain the process. Mm. And she eventually came around to it. But then I did call on the way home. I sat in the car and I was like, I cannot believe I fucking said that. I cannot believe those words. And the ego was clapping its mouth. hands at the time. Yeah, going, yeah. Oh. But, but, you know, like me as being the really nosy, annoying friend, I'm like, oh, I, I know Pat enough that I can see the other triggers that actually got triggered. Like it had nothing to do with her. Nah. It had so many other triggers underlying. I can look at him now yeah. and be nodding at each other yeah. and be like, yeah, we get it. Yeah, and <laughs> she got the conversation that I had bottled away for 50 other people earlier, right? Like. Like that was a shaken up Coke can that just had to explode and unfortunately exploded on her. And she took it pretty well and it all went fine. But I sat in the car and was like, I cannot believe I said that. Then the fact that I, and the way that I said outrageous. I can see. I, I, I'm like, you yeah. said it was such contempt. Yeah. yeah. And also like, you know, Pat is such a tall man. <laughs> I can just see it. Yeah. But I think, you know, to come back to how do you manage it actually? Like what do you do, right? Mm. So the key is that you catch it. Yeah. The key is that you, A, have interest, you learn what are your ego stories, like what do you do? Are you an overthinker? Are you an overcontroller? Do you get angry? Do you do you scare people when your ego gets triggered? It's like what are your stories? What are your behaviours? So you have to really be curious in non-triggering situations who you are. Don't trigger yourself because it, and it's usually, you know, it's too much. Like find out who you are. Like what does your mind chatter look like? What other topics? Like I'm a massive overthinker. Like I try to control a lot of things by planning every single scenario through and then nothing happens anyway. Well, my ego is very much about insecurity. So always I feel like I never fit in. Like, you know, like you have to kind of understand what what is it. You just said something really interesting when you say you're overthinker, you play through every different scenario. Mm -hmm. Is that a bad thing? Yeah. Shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> look, look, if it's part of a job, like if I'm – hired to do a job like for example my dan is a, dan my husband is a risk manager project manager he has to he's getting paid for it does it help that i think of how i write this email through every single way or how i how i respond or, or what the scenario in this social setting we look like fuck no that's a waste of time and energy mm. so so there is we know that we have unhelpful coping modes when our ego is triggered and overthinking is a form of protecting yourself and controlling the scenario which is Wasted energy sure. and unhelpful. 
So there can be benefits, but it's usually the intensity, the duration, and the scenario that you're doing it, right? Sure. And you and I have a lot in common, Pat. <laughs> I think it is an issue when you play through, if you've got to have a conversation with someone, and of course, like for me, I'm going to play out, if you say this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. And so I've rehearsed the conversation. It's going to go a particular way. But I think that does become an issue when you hold a grudge for something someone said in your rehearsal of the conversation, right? Where they never said that and you've prepared an answer for an, for an objection that never came. And then you present yourself as though they've already given you that objection. That's the ego getting in the way, I think, right? Yeah, but That's also you. You, you just being able to do that, you're probably using that strategy too much in general. Yeah. Like the idea is, and this is also ego driven, is that you show up with vulnerability because how else can you connect? Mm -hmm. So if you go through every single scenario, you don't want to be vulnerable. You want to be prepared. Mm. I get that for a job interview. Don't get it for a Friday night with friends. Mm. Yeah, sure. Sure, sure. I'm thinking professionally. Professionally, I think there is a point to it. Like, and I think in the dog industry, it is very ego-driven. So you have to be protective of yourself. But technically, the ego shouldn't get triggered because you walk your own path and you're authentic. Mm. Sometimes with that too, though, Pat, it's nice to be surprised. You know, like I find it quite exciting to be surprised when I'm working with students or anything like that. And rather than being overprepared for everything, like I really enjoy now that when they might ask me a question or even make a statement that I haven't overprepared for. And I think, oh, that's really interesting. Now I'm in unfamiliar territory. And I used to be scared by that at the start, like thinking, oh, I can't be in this position. I'm the authority in the room. I mm. have to be ready and prepared and situated for when this happens. But now I actually like it. I, I think to myself, well, I, I actually don't know. Mm. Why don't you tell me if you've got better information on it? And I find that I'm included in part of a conversation rather than just dictating, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like a learning strategy. And I've just found that since I've been able to relax on that, and don't get me wrong, even though I'm having a, a passive conversation with you two guys at the moment, it doesn't matter what age you are in your life, like I'm about to turn 50, and it still doesn't mean that I don't say and do stupid things. You know, it doesn't mean that my ego doesn't go unchecked sometimes. It doesn't mean that I don't lose my temper or find myself contributing to bullshit because there are times where I have to, you know, like check myself before I wreck myself and- I've got good people around me, such as you guys. Narelle very much is, I've said this before and I maintain this status. Narelle is my number one critic, but she's all she's doing it because she loves me. She understands that I would be disappointed with myself once I recollect my thoughts on things that I've said. So she reminds me that sometimes I'm saying things that aren't in my own best interest to do, which I didn't appreciate at the start as a husband and wife issue, but now that I'm getting older or now that I'm sitting back and looking at it in a better perspective, I realize she is actually doing it for my best interest. My grandmother used to say to me quite regularly, and she was a pain in the ass for a lot of things, but she was right in, in situations like this. She said, you are very much the company you keep. And it means that whether you like it or not, you're going to be judged by the people that you have around you. You know, like if you have a lot of thugs around you or people that are just toxic people, then that bleeds into the the image that you're setting yourself. I mean, I've got friends from all different walks of life and I appreciate them and so forth, but I do find myself that if, if I'm around people who are, are constantly bringing me down or allowing me to become a person I don't really want, then I separate from them. I don't think it's best for me all the time. Sometimes I think it's best for them as well 
because I used to look at, oh, it's best for me if I get out of this situation. Sometimes I look at it, it's it's best for them because they don't really appreciate having a person that's not part of their culture. You know, so sometimes I have to think about it. Look, you know, we're both doing something that's best for each other. It's best for me and it's best for you. You know, sometimes I'm, I might be the considered toxic person in the relationship, so I need to move out of it, and migrate away. You just said something interesting. I think that people very often are easy to call out a person with toxic traits, but at the end of the day we have to realise we all have toxic Absolutely. traits. Absolutely. Like you can, you know, and, and that takes some soul searching. Like I'm reading a lot of Jung books at the moment and he's very challenging. Like I love how he how he writes, but he's it's in English and I'm thinking maybe I should get the German books, but I need to read it really slowly because the things are quite big and you really have to follow. But he essentially talks a lot about that you have to understand your shadow self because the shadow and the life can only exist with each other. There is no light without shadow and there's no shadow without light. But most people are only focusing on the light side, right? But you have to understand your shadow side. Mm. And in the clinical community, there is often the talk about, oh, toxic traits are pathological. And I'm like, every person has toxic traits. Mm. You know, you can... What does that mean, pathological? It's unhealthy. It gets in the way of life. Okay. And at this path right now where I'm kind of like, I'm really disliking labeling mental health illness at the moment because I feel like it doesn't help people very often. It's very good that they know what they're dealing with, but very often I feel like out of language around it would be better. But for example, society praises people who help other people, right? But you can take that to a toxic level of self-sacrificing yourself that you burn out the whole time. Mm -hmm. So it's toxic. You're doing something that society loves, but technically it's toxic to you. One thing I've found there too, Bertie, is in an area or a group of people that you could be toxic to, it could be perfumed to another group. Yeah. And and that's something that I've found. Is that, tribe. Yeah. So if I find that I have a behavioral trait that is counterproductive to one group, the other group might relish in it. They yeah. might enjoy that specific behavioral trait that I'm exhibiting or a person is exhibiting. So it's interesting because in one group it might be discouraged or or frowned upon, and in another one, it might be completely validated. But I think that's wisdom, right? That's when you, yeah. That's wisdom. That's when you have been able to step back from your thinking. You had time to look at your shadow side and your light side, and you're somewhere in the middle where the light's just perfect, and you know, does this sit well with me? Do I bring good to the world? Does it bring good to me? Like you didn't react. Like mm. ego reacts. Ego, ego is impatient. It wants to react. It wants to act right there and then. And the behavior is usually not nurturing and wholesome to you or anyone else it doesn't it doesn't feel like good stuff right so and and um the holistic psychologist she has a couple of examples and i thought i'd bring them in that we can look at hey this is an ego response and this would be what she calls the highest self response like mm. how you could else react so we can make it a bit practical mm-hmm. okay so just how do you deal with these ego-driven thoughts? The first thing is you identify it, you know enough about yourself, you question it, you'd maybe drop your anchor and then you focus on what behavior do I want. And so here are now examples of how your ego could react and how your highest self with awareness and consciousness could react differently. So let's go through them because I'm like, oh, that's really helpful and I love that about her. She's very practical. So the ego maybe goes like, hey, I have a lack of success or you know they compare each other with other people they go like i am smaller than the other person so the highest self then you know when you know that this is your story that you always compare yourself goes like hey abundance means we can collaborate and it brings mutual success Mm -hmm. and we have authenticity here it's not fake it feels different right like you can learn and grow 
Can you see how this is very different? Mm. Another ego story could be that my ideas and beliefs are always right. That's how the podcast started. You know, mm. I have to tell people that I'm always right. The highest self, however, would go like, I'm an involving being who changes and questions belief. We are allowed to change. Another ego story could be that I take people's actions really personally, but technically people's actions have not much to do with me. They're a reflection of their own behavior. I might trigger something and then I have to own that. But people's reaction to us when we have been neutral and we can go like, I was not an asshole, I wasn't a dick, is very often a reflection of their own, how they relate to themselves. That's why I'm saying like what Baba Ramdas and a lot of other people in the community say, you need to heal yourself and the world will be a better place. Mm. Because you, re you react very often to your own story, not to the person in front of you. Mm. Another ego story could be that I can change people. That's really high in the dog industry and in the, you know, in any like Narelle's job, in my job, that would be really big. But you can't, you can only change yourself. You maybe can give people access to knowledge, like a doctrine that, you know, set your ego story off. But you don't know what to do with it. Mm. So you can only be your best version in that moment. Another ego story is that no one understands me. Like I'm not heard, I'm not seen. But you have to understand yourself. You have to do the work to really go like, hey, what do I need? How do I get my needs met? As a child, that's different. But as an adult, it's in your responsibility. Very often I see that in in some forms, it's always that people feel like they can rescue, safe and fix other people. And we need to understand that pity, like having a pity for a person is also ego driven. Like, mm -hmm. the, like a co communities very often look on, oh, look, if they only would do this, we wouldn't pity them so much. Like, especially around training tools, and mm. there's a lot of pity, but that's also ego driven. Because if you would take a step back and you would act on your higher self and you have awareness and consciousness, you would go like, I can support you on your own journey wherever you are. We don't know where your journey ends, you know? Mm. So that would be how we would overcome our ego. Um, or very often we see people as victims or helpless, and, and that's also an ego story because you give up that you believe that they're capable and that they are powerful. You know, uh, the highest self in us looks at a person and goes like, I hear your pain, I can feel this compassion and authenticity, but I also know you're powerful and I believe that you can make decisions for yourself. I don't take that power away from you. Mm. But the ego wants to take that power away from you. We very often, when people argue, take that power away from each other. So that's an example. Ah, oh, entitlement. There are lots of stories around entitlement. Mm. And the examples that Dr. Nicole has is, for example, that people, and I think customers and clients very often have quite entitled, especially in Pat's area on beaches where we are, um, <laughs> um, making demands on time of emotional energy. And the highest version would look for gratitude and come to comes to an arrangement that feels good for everyone. But that also means that you have to hold your boundaries. And I think saying no to people is very often associated with feeling guilty you're smiling at me and I'm like, why are you smiling at me? I don't get it. <laughs> you have your smirk on. There's a couple of, you just reminded me of something. I was talking about this with a friend of mine. I was in the army with, talking with him the other day. He's got a very successful business and stuff now. Actually, he's got his own podcast. I'll give him a plug. Coffee is for closers. He does sales, right? <laughs> Go check it out if you're into sales. And in fact, we should look at getting him on to talk about like people selling their business. He's of like course. how to do online selling. And he's kind of a whiz at it. Mm. And we were laughing about how we both are really particular about the type of clients that we'll take now because we just, having been in the army so long, we just aren't in 
have any interest in giving anybody any power over us, right? And it's what amazes me when people uh, allow people to be their master. And there's a part, it's interesting how often I reflect with the bad guys in movies, right? But I think like they're sometimes on the right path. And there's a there's a scene in the the Batman, Dark Knight Rises, I think, with Bane. Yeah. And he's he's got to do something. And the guy's like, I paid you to do this. And Bane says to him, he says, you think that gives you power over me? Right. And it's like, that's the, mm. the, the customer yeah. client relationship sometimes that I can struggle with when people say like, you have to do it this way. And like, I, you're the, you're I paid bi- you. You're my bitch for the hour. Yeah. And that's mm. what he says to him. Like, you think that gives you power over me? Well, and then I he like kills that. the guy. So we, I don't go that far, but. <laughs> Good um, to know, <laughs> I like that you clarified that. But, yeah. but the scary thing is he's playing it out in his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think like that's. That's really like that's that part of fuck. I can't even remember why I was thinking about what you said, but it's that that entitlement, right? It's like you have to do what I say. You have to do it this way, and appreciating like I think I fucking hate it when people do that to me. That's why I, I I'll, I'll probably never have a I'll probably never work for somebody ever again because I just I'd never want to be in a position where people say no, you have to do this. Okay. I've done enough of that in my fucking life, right? But so I'll contract the people, right? Like, no problem. Like, we can work today. And if we have a good day today, we can work again together tomorrow, right? But you don't have power over me. But then also then looking at that from the other direction and not expecting that of anybody is is the tricky part, right? Like, when you feel that so vehemently as I do, then to look at other people and go like, hey, like, I get it. I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, and I think that's the, the middle path that, you know, like you've You've put work into trying to get to a mutual agreement, right? That both boundaries are being honored and met. And I I very often see the opposite and the other extreme that people give too much, like they give so much with the expectation that they get something back. But I think that when you give something, you shouldn't expect something back. Yeah. This you give because you wanna it makes you feel good. Giving give, feels good. Like, you know, the, the altruism of giving without getting anything back. I'm sure there are studies that I've read that that actually doesn't exist. When you give something, like if I would give Glenn chocolates with honeycomb in it, <laughs> <laughs> then he would smile and I would receive a smile. And I'm like, yes, you know, we, we got friendship going on. And, you know, everything's an interaction, essentially. Every relationship has a bank account. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Whether you want to acknowledge that or not. But there's an interesting side of that. And, it, you know, it's very current to the modern world that we're living in. And it's a saying that I've posted regularly is that if you do an act of kindness for somebody with an expectation of getting something back, you're doing business, not kindness. Yeah, I like that. It reflects on a lot of people who who go and do something nice for somebody in the street, but they film it so they can show everybody how nice they were about doing it. So who was that really for? Was that really for the homeless guy that you gave him some socks and some some bread, you know, or was that to make people look at you online and say, oh, you're such a good person? That's right. It's ego. I've come to like people less for doing things like that. Like even though the act was nice, they did it for themselves. They didn't do it for the bloke. If they did that, they'd say, turn the fucking camera off and go away. Dignity. Yeah, that's right. You know, and there are organizations around the world and there are people around the world who certainly do a lot of that. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't do nice things for people because that's not the suggestion at all. But think about your motives when you're doing it. 
you know. That's when you need to know your ego stories, right? Like this yeah. is when you, like for the ego story could be you have been reinforced as a kid to do nice things for kids, but you were waiting for the clicker or the, the praise from your parent that you do it. So when you film it, that would be your biological wiring and your conditioning kicking in that now you're waiting for your for your approval, right? Mm. For the clicker, mm. but you've done it, but that doesn't happen. That's how you have to know your ego because you're an adult now. Tough one. Yeah. It is, but I think it's a never ending. Like to me, ego will never be boring because I think it's so complex and it's so versatile and I have a big enough ego that it will take me my whole life to work on it. But I think there's some healthy parts to it as well. Like oh, but it, the ego is healthy, but you need to know when it overreacts. Yeah. I think that anybody who is without ego completely is is void of a self. It's a form of protection. You need protection in life. Yeah. Well, you talked about it before, Pat the relationship with the customer or, or working with something, I think it's something that you need to make sure that it doesn't become your master. Uh, and I think that's something that you need to be aware of and feel it when it's rising within because it sometimes feels like something that takes you over and it's like a narcotic. It feels good sometimes, you know, like it's, it's I, I know potent drug. I know when my ego is coming on sometimes now because it feels so good, you know, like I feel so righteous. But you have awareness and I think I that's do now. what, we, what I do we now. want to have, awareness and consciousness. Yeah, right? but I do now. I didn't before, but I, you know, like I liked it. I liked the feeling of it. I felt powerful and strong because I could feel this. And again, it's the Jekyll and Hyde principle that I could feel Mr. Hyde coming up within me. And I thought, oh, this feels good. You know, like I'm destroying this, but I was destroying the people in front of me. And I'm thinking this feels so nice that I'm tearing them apart but it's not. It's terrible. Like it's absolutely when you when you go into analyze that and, and what it costs you in the long run and who you become, you're almost a, a drug addict out of control. And it's it's not good because it's very. It eliminates friendships. It eliminates potential. You know, you're like a biochemical muppet. You become like a multi level marketer. You just you, you know people see you coming and think, oh, not this prick again. You know, I'm, I'm about to get a self righteous blast off this particular person when they're out of control. So I, I think sometimes in order to have a good conversation with people to to be a part of that is sometimes, you know, as I said on an earlier episode, is is don't listen with the intent to reply. Just be part of the conversation. Sometimes you might not need to say anything at all. You just sit there and be, you know, a fly on the wall and, and enjoy the fact that some people in the room are talking and you get to be a part of it. But that means that you have the ability to be in the present moment, which most of us don't. Yeah. You have to have the ability to access your vice part and your higher higher self and have conscious and awareness of reading the room. Mm. If you're not in the present moment, if you're either in your head or in the past, you missed that. Yeah. A little while ago, I thought I understood what empathy was, right? A little while ago, my dog taught it to me. I watched it and it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. My little neighbor, Rip's little friend's in our building, their cat died and the cat was like 19. So the, like the little eight-year-old girl never known life without it. Right. And the day later she's over at our house and she sees our dogs and, you know, immediately like triggers that thought. And she became upset immediately, but didn't really say anything, but you could see like a change in body. And Valerie went over and just sat next to her mm. and didn't do anything else. 
just sat next to her. Mm. And it was probably like a more healing moment than I've ever seen a person give to another person because there's people you want to infer something or you want to say, don't worry, it'll be okay. And like there's all this like get over it. Like no matter what you're saying, you're doing it in an attempt to make them get over it. Yes, just sitting with it. Anything that you say is just like no matter how – carefully and precise you choose your words what you're actually saying is fucking get over it right no matter what real words come out and what she did was she just went over and she sat with this little girl just sat next to her and she pat her a couple of times and valerie just you know she's normally like once you pat her that's it she dives into your lap and that's like it's all it's all over she didn't do any of that she just sat there with her and then a little girl just was like like got up and started playing again And it was a very healing moment for her. But then what was interesting was Val just walked off and I found her outside sitting by herself. And it was like she had absorbed too much stress. And I was like, oh, that's what empathy is. I I watched it and I was like, oh, that's it. Like that's sitting with someone and going like, I'll have this pain with you. And then because I have the capacity to deal with it, it's not my pain. I'll have it with you and maybe that will – you know, make your life better afterwards. I don't know, but it's not mine to deal with. So I'll be able to vent it much easier. I need to let it go. And she just walked outside. This is my fucking dog, right? Yes. Is this walked out and sat out the front by herself. And Jane actually said, like, something's wrong with her. And we both watched her and she sat there for maybe 10 minutes. And this is while three kids and Remy are going ballistic in the house running around, right? And then she just shook and walked back in the house and oh. was herself again. Right. And I remember thinking, I I stood there, I said, I was like, that's what empathy is. I've completely misunderstood that my entire life. Right. Because for me, I'm getting teary. (laughs) I'm getting teary. It was so sweet. And for me, you know, I'm a problem solver, I'm a fixer of things. And I've probably made so many people's problems worse. No, but you have empathy. You have, you're one of the friends in Glendisvale who can. Like you have seen me in my, some of my dark times and you just sit there. And then my threshold and your threshold are different, <laughs> but I know that you were there and you gave me empathy and then you always said, you'll be right. Mm. But but to me, I need to hear it. You choose it very wisely when I do need to hear it. Mm. And you do shake yourself a little bit because you do the shoulder thing. <laughs> you pull my shoulders back. That's just me fixing my fucked up back. Yeah, but um, empathy will trigger that because you're holding on to something, right? Yeah. But anyway, it was quite remarkable to see. And I thought, wow, that's that thing that I've not understood my whole life. That's uh, what that is. And I learned it from a, a six-year-old Springer Spaniel. They're really good. Luna did something similar the other day. Yeah, I was with a friend and couldn't say anything. It was a terrible thing, that had, like phenomenally terrible. Couldn't say a thing. What does Luna just sits there? Mm. I think that's why we're so passionate about them. Dogs, man. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> mm. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think we've had a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And as always, when you come on the show, it gives me a lot of personal insight. So not only are we doing this as a healing thing, hopefully for our community, but I mean, I always take something away from it every time. Every time we have these conversations, it's always something that I feel like you're one of the people and I'm fortunate to have good people around me, but you're definitely one of the people that makes me a better man. You make me a better person too, Glenn. Thank you. Aww. I love coming here. Part two, like I was writing um, a letter the other day because I had to, and I'm like, I had to think of people who are really important to me. You know, and I, I say this with them. authenticity is that the people in this room now are some of the people I care most about in the world. Yeah. No. 
But I do. I so I honestly do care about you guys. Like you are. Don't get me wrong. My love is authentic, but so is my hate. You know, like if and that's an unfortunate side effect of me. If I don't like someone, that stays with me for a long period of time. That's a fault of mine that I find hard to shrug. Is when I real when they cross that threshold with me. That is a terrible side of my personality. Something that I'm really trying to work on, but <laughs> it's so consuming sometimes. But but the people who do mean a lot to me, I mean, I know this is very easy to say, but I feel like I could walk in front of a bus for them because they do mean a lot to me. And there's not a lot of people I feel that way about. You know, if I'm speaking from the heart and speaking honestly, I do like a lot. I like a hell of a lot of people, but I don't love a lot of people. There's a lot of love in this room. There is a lot of love in there's this room. There's a lot of love in this room. Yeah. Mm. Just something I wanted to wrap up on, on that, the topic of nuance Something I feel like I, I learned from dog training is like when I whenever I'm teaching, I always talk about why does a dog do anything, right? To better his own situation. And I say, your dogs aren't altruistic. They don't like everything they do, minute to minute, second to second, they're just trying to better their own situation. And and I believe that. And then I, I usually then say, you know, uh, I believe people are the same. But what did Valerie do then? Well, that's the that's the tricky part, right? Mm. That's that's where it becomes a grey and like a difficult area. But then I say to people as well, I believe people are the same, right? Now, I've had people say my dog – I actually had a guy tell me one time his dog did take a bullet for him. And I say, yeah, but, like, he doesn't understand the consequences of that. Like, it's not he – doesn't, he doesn't understand how guns work. Um, he's performing a trained behavior. And I say, you know, I, I like to think that I would take a bullet for my son, but I also – I doubt that I would be able to live with myself if I didn't. So, like, my altruistic – my behavior is not true altruism. It's it's a relief of stress of myself. But then that led me to understand, I was like, you know, I don't think that dogs have nefarious agendas. I don't think that a dog gets up and goes, I'm going to fuck with you, right? Because you can't say that and say that they are minute to minute just trying to better their own situation, right? If they are fucking with you, it's because you've allowed them to find some success in that, right? They think that that's their, mm -hmm. how they're going to better their own situation. And then I took a step back from that and thought, oh, shit, because like I've said that people are the same. I say that dogs are just pleasing their pleasing themselves, right, bettering their situation. I say in one way or another, people are the same. And then I was like, ipso facto, people probably can't have nefarious agendas. And I think that when we're looking to appreciate nuance is that I think that people are working within the information that they have at that time. And capacity right? very yeah. often. And so there's a set of circumstances that has led them to hold that opinion. And especially in dog training, we are the most divided industry that I'm a fucking aware of, right? Like there's so many factions and sub-factions and people that are fucking over other people and all these sorts of things. And it's really easy to think like that it's a group of assholes. <laughs> but I've learned recently to sort of step away from that and go, you know, man, how did you get to this point? Like that thing that you're doing is an asshole act. What you're doing, I don't like. But what has led you to that? Mm. Like what is the set of circumstances that has made that the decision that you've made? But that is, that is so – you just aced it because that's compassion and empathy. And, and, and this is – what it is about, this is meeting the person in front of you and you going beyond their ego and your own ego, mm. right? This is this is where magic happens. This is where mirror neurons happen. This is where we connect. This is where if you want to go super spiritual and hippie stuff, this is where you raise vibration and create good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. 
This is what magic looks like. But mm. that means you can look past the ego and the protection of the other person and you can step out of your ego and see that. That doesn't mean you should get hurt in a process. Like, you know, boundaries are still really important, but just that you try, mm. that you want to go there. I'll tell you the one word that fucked with my head for a long period of time, perspective. Oh, it's hard. Mm. Do you know what my favourite word is? Percolator. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what my favourite word to hear you say, Bertie, is? I love hearing you say it. I love hearing Arnold Schwarzenegger say it. I love hearing uh, Werner Herzog say it. Anger. There's no aggression in your G. It's anger. Say it. Say it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favourite word is coagulate. Coagulate? Coagulate. It's a good word. Yeah, I like that word. No, my favourite word is fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It gives me the most emotional release. Yeah. It's a good word, isn't it? It's got a lot of utility. It's a duct tape of all my emotional problems. Mm, It's got a lot of utility, that's for sure. All right, I'm wrapping it up. Yep. That's it. it. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Bertie. Thank you so much for filling my spoons up. I love you both. Thanks. Yep. You're Um, you're very loved too, not just by us, but by a greater community. What are you doing? Can people get in contact with you? Have you got anything going on? What's happening? Oh, my God. Can we plug anything for you? Not yet. No, there's a big overhaul. I'm totally overhauling my business concept. Okay. Like it's not going to be the same as it used to be. You know, it's going to be more focusing and really trying to help people heal themselves. Mm-hmm. So it will be probably less focusing on dog behavior, like how your behavior impacts a dog, which is a consequence. But if, um, I notice how much the community is hurting. So I want to. There's a very big need for you at the moment. And I mean, Pat and I have spoken of this regularly in the past, but more so these days. With the way people are feeling, the angst that's going on, and this continual ebb and flow of things that are evolving around us at the moment, there is, especially in the in our industry, let's focus on our industry. I know a lot more people could use you, but especially in our industry, there's a lot of people who could really use your wisdom and compassion right now. Thank you. That's very, very lovely to hear. And I'm, I know that if I get the ball rolling, it won't be stoppable for a little while. So I want to have my ducks lined up and I just, I needed a break. Like I, I had so much happening last year and it was so stressful. So I can't tell people, look, watch your spoons and run around empty. So I'm at the moment having to take my own medicine and just my healing, unfortunately, is not as fast as I want it to be, but it's getting now much stronger and I have my enthusiasm back as well. So, but you do need those reset moments. You absolutely need to yeah, go away if, into a quiet place and just heal. But if you told me it's going to take more than six months, and I'm like, that's a really luxurious time frame. <laughs> but it's what it will take. It, but said it best, time takes time. It does, and I I have to I I can't rush it. So yeah, take as long as it takes. So listeners, since we've got nothing of Birdie to plug, I feel like I'm so frustrated by the fact that we don't have the gear yet. I will secret project that's coming I up. will I will drop mm. another little piece of the secret project oh is yep. Birdie's in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god, I was so excited to hear something and now I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's you. You're Luke. So, if there's a topic that you would like us to discuss with the bird, where there's going to be uh, <laughs> <The bird. laughs> there's going to be some further opportunities to do that. So let us know because mm. um, that's going to be that can feed into a part of the new project that involves a gazebo and a fire pit and a lounge. That's all you guys have seen so far. And a pipe. 
Oh, and well, you pipe. can bring your pipe. Yeah. I can, my tobacco pipe. Just tobacco to clarify. Pipe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, your crack pipe. Uh, <laughs> 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 Is that even that a thing would... in Australia? Do we even have that? Crack? Probably. Yeah. I've got meth. I don't know. Mm. I would not know. All I know is I like Irish tobacco. That's as far as okay. I go with my pipes. Yeah. Okay. No, we're not going to do anything illegal. All right. Before show. this becomes a drug podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank That's you. it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Mm. And then just go to some other subscription service and leave us a positive review there, even though you've never downloaded us from that one. Yeah, yeah. that'd be nice. Yeah, we... We always encourage people to leave positive reviews or an honest review. So thank you. If you can go on to Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I think they're called now, or even any of them, any format. Spotify. Wonderful. Spotify, whatever. Yeah, Spotify as well. That'd yeah, be we're great working on a $100 million deal to rival <laughs> Joe Rogan through Spotify. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it as always, guys. And there are some lovely reviews that are already on there. I read every single one of them, and I really appreciate them. So thank you for making the time to do that for us. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Got some cool content going into there go to patreon.com type in the canine paradigm and you can choose how much choose your level of involvement and mm. there's different content in those different tiers you could also support the show by getting on to teespring and buying some cool merch probably the same just search the canine paradigm on teespring or if you go into our discussion group there's a link uh, pinned to the top of the group on how to buy some cool merch thank you avery She's absolutely amazing. yeah i love that new mind blown yeah i love how she puts yin and yang in the middle yeah. Yep. It's, it's great. She brought balance to the exploded minds. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is to jump into the Facebook group, post some stuff in their group, source your information, or you could send us an email. We are info at thecanonparadigm.com. Glenn, you've fixed your board and I've the fixed music's it. all loaded in. Yes, it's ready to go. Go ahead and push the button, sir. <laughs>